And you're very welcome along to the Gardening Programme here on Midwest Radio Pork. Good morning good to you. Good morning, Deirdre. Good morning, listeners. How are things? Good, yeah, yeah. It's good to see the, the, the back of the frost, hopefully, and uh, yeah. milder temperatures. I know. It'd be nice if things were a bit drier, but look, it's, uh, it'll come. It'll come. No, but um, it's, it's actually great growing uh, weather. Like, the, you know, we, we were talking last week about the, fe- the effect of frost and pl- it slowed the whole growth down, but people will start to notice their lawns beginning to green a little bit, starting to grow again. Weeds are certainly beginning to pop up. And uh, so growth is, is certainly starting again. And like we said last week, if people are noticing um, any damage on plants and scorching marks, give them a feed and, and they'll be perfectly fine. They'll jump jump out of that very, very quickly. Yeah, even though, and I suppose even though it's not sunshiny, no. uh, temperatures have increased. So they have indeed. That, yeah, that, so that will stand, thanks. Yeah, once we get over that 10, 11 degrees, and you were, you were chatting there about 15 degrees, 16 degrees, we're into a growth phase. So people will definitely st- see their shrubs and their plants and their seedlings and their vegetables. And, uh, and everything's starting to grow. When you do get this wet weather, it's a good time of year for feeding plants. And we mentioned that last week, the feeding of lawns, the feeding of trees and shrubs in general. And if any spring plants needed a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of nutrition, this is the year to put it on. So when we get the wet weather like this, it's ideal feeding time. So a granulated fertiliser. And plants tend to grow vigorously over the next kind of six to eight weeks. That's the main growing period. So this is the time to be feeding your roses and looking after them. I have noticed a little bit of... um, Aphid, uh, so the aphids are out, the green fly and the black fly, and on, so people should check their um, their particularly sensitive plants like roses, lupins, uh, any tender growth for aphids, uh, caterpillars, that sort of thing, and keep an eye out for those because they're certainly enjoying the, the milder temperatures are as they? well. They are indeed. Okay. And our friends, the slugs and snails, of course, are out. So if you are putting um, young vegetable plants or young seedlings in or anything that is prone to um, slugs and snails, do keep an eye for those as well. This damp weather tends to favour. They tend to be nocturnal, but when you get the, the uh, damp weather during the day, they're, of course, feeding 24 hours, okay. feasting. 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 So do keep an eye out for those as well. So a little bit of prevention, you know, keep on top of the weeds, that type of thing. Planting up your hanging baskets and window boxes. We're still in that time of year. And of course, the planting of vegetables and in your local garden centre, there's a great selection. I was uh, popped in this morning uh, into Turlock and, and mm. you know, there's everything. What was catching your eye? Well, well, in particular, in the vegetable er- area, there was a huge range of things like kale and spinach and radish plants and onions, uh, the actual physical plants and all the salad leaves are in. So it's really good planting weather. Cabbages in particular, the Savoy cabbages in that lovely crinkly, the, the true cabbage really that has really a strong flavour mm. um, and some of the round cabbages there, cauliflower, uh, broccoli, the summer broccoli, red cabbage is available at the moment. So there's lots of really good um, strong vegetable plants. Again, if they get into the soil at this time of year, they tend to jump very, very quickly. And um, it's also still the time for planting tomatoes, so again, there's quite a wide range of tomato varieties. So there's still plenty of time for the planting up of all those fruiting plants like chilies, peppers, aubergines. The plants of those are available and they're relatively easy to grow. I actually brought you in a little bit of basil this morning. Oh, Sweet basil. A little a little bit. It, a little bit, a little yes. bunch of, of uh, basil. And of course, basil needs to be kept indoors, but it's a beautiful herb and so easy to grow and even just the scent of basil if you never ate it just even touch it occasionally and the lovely fresh smell of basil um, so that's available as well uh, you know for plant herb you can still sow it from seed but as a plant sit that in your windowsill keep picking it on a regular basis and it just keeps on giving yeah I suppose when you when you do plant them uh, from plants rather than seeds uh, there isn't 
me quite the level of minding. It, no, there is You know, that, that, that initial stage has been taken care of for it you, has, so it can make things a little easier. Absolutely. But also, if, it, when, if you are planting vegetable plants, it's great to sow the seed at the same time because the plants that you're planting now that I looked at this morning were planted four to six weeks ago. So if you plant now again, you just get that succession of cropping and, and the weather conditions are absolutely superb for sowing the seeds of plants in general. If you haven't, speaking about seeds... If you haven't um, the inclination maybe to grow or you have a particular area mm. in the garden that you just want to maybe put a cover crop to keep it clean and tidy, remember the green manures. I, I often mention them um, and this is a really good time for sowing the seeds of green manure. And effectively, green manure is it's a packet of seed and you simply sow it on the ground. It grows as a cover crop and it suppresses other weeds and many of them are beneficial. So they're beneficial to pollinating insects. So uh, the varieties of red clover and phacelia and there's lots of various different varieties of green manure. Not only the good for the pollinators, but they're also great for your soil as well because you dig them back into the soil once they have once they grow about eight or nine inches high or after flowering you can simply just dig the plant back into the soil and it releases nutrition so it's great for an area organic growers use it a lot to rest an area so if you're growing potatoes in an area you just want to rest it for a year sowing a cover crop of green manure great for the bees and the butterflies brilliant for the soil as well and you're also uh, helping to kind of suppress the weeds as well. You simply just rake the soil and chuck those on. Yeah, so we have a selection there in, in the packet that you have. Do, do they take long to come on? No, they'll, germ you, they'll if germinate. If, if you were to sow that today, they'll germinate in the soil within two to three weeks and so by the end of June, mid-July they'll be in flower. It takes normally about eight weeks for phacelia to come into flower once you sow the seed. So eight weeks from now it'll be kind of mid-July uh, when it's in, in bloom and then it'll flower right through till September and you dig it back into your soil. It acts as a as, as a physical cover crop and uh, adds nutrition back into the soil. Every year after bloom, after the the June bank holiday, mm -hmm. once all the uh, gardens are taken away, the OPW sow the entire field of in blue, the, where the bloom Sides, site is yeah. with phacelia. It's absolutely beautiful in flower. And they, they do it specifically to give the soil a rest, but also to attract the bees. Michael D's bees are very close to that area and they feed on the phacelia then right through till October. Uh, it's a wonderful site. Um, I often pop up in, in August just to see the phacelia in flower. Yeah. I also brought you in a number of organic treatments. Remember we were chatting about the nemas. Nematodes. The nematodes, yes, we, we last week. touched on them last week. So they're available now. And, so and this, this is Nema Slug? Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a nematodes cover of basically, again, just to explain to listeners what they are, nematodes are natural organic um, bugs, as it were, parasites that hunt out pests like slugs and snails, leather jackets in particular. So you simply just mix them up in water, you apply them to the area. And again, a day like today is ideal where you have a little bit of moisture and the temperature. Once the temperature is above 10 degrees Celsius, the nematodes are very, very effective. They're organic in nature, so they're brilliant if you're growing. I think we had a couple of questions last week about lettuce being ate by leather jackets. So if you've got leather jackets in your greenhouse tunnel, out in your garden soil, they're a rubbery pest about an inch long, the larvae of the daddy long legs and they will eat your grass, they'll eat your lettuce plants, your cabbage plants, whatever. If you've got them, you'll know you have them and using the nematodes in a washing can just applied to the area is the safest, most effective way of doing it and totally natural but also very effective. Many of the growers now that um, Keeling's Fruit Farm use nematodes and many of the growers that grow even trees and shrubs are using nematodes now. In, rather than using pesticides. Um, so they're, they're available at the moment. Um, so a particularly good range for slugs and snails, but also 
for the leather jackets. They're okay. two different, slightly different um, nematodes. Okay, they're, they're made by BASF, I noticed. They are, in, yeah. yeah, in the, the UK. Old, the old people that used to make the cassette tapes. There you go, yeah. there you go. So they're they're uh, so they're so making that, and, and it's a really good product. It's um, very effective, and particularly at this time of year as, as temperatures have warmed up. Okay, and those ones there, that, that one says Nema slugs, so yeah. are they specifically for slugs? They're specifically for slugs and snails. Yeah, wow. They, so they will, they will hatch out in the soil, they'll attack the slugs, they kill the slug, they breed within the slug and, and self-populate and go after the next. <laughs> so they're parasitic in nature. It sounds a little alien-like, well, as in it, the movie. But anyway. Absolutely, but it's a really good, effective um, method of, of controlling slugs and snails. And also particularly, I know we had lots yeah. of questions from people about the leather jackets and it, you, again, the nematodes are very effective uh, for controlling them. So Great. And we've got a couple of other, because we're, we're focusing yeah. a little bit on organics I this brought morning. in a couple yeah. of, of things and it's great because the, you know, the range of, of treatments now from an organic perspective has increased over the number of years due to, to popular demand mm-hmm. and people looking for something a little bit different. There are other products like for controlling slugs and snails like um, Garlic Wonder is a garlic recipe that uh, particularly the the growers of hostas use. Um, so the, the people that grow the hostas for Chelsea Flower Show every year use Garlic Wonder um, and, and they find that very effective. The, it's just the physical taste of the garlic that the slugs dislike. So you mix it in water, you apply it to the foliage and again it keeps the slugs and snails off them. And it's really at this time of year when plants are beginning to emerge the slugs and snails can be a problem. Um, you also have the copper tape which is if people have pots and containers, which can be very effective as well. But also you've got organic feeds. So this is one from Westland. It's just called organic seaweed. So again, it's an organic feed for vegetables and fruits. Um, And it's nice to be using organic products that you know are safe and child-friendly, pet-friendly, but also particularly for edible plants. You don't want to be using pesticides. And are they equally as effective as the more traditional chemical uh, options, they are, I suppose. As long as you use them on a regular basis, right. you'll use them a little bit more often. But having said that, they are equally effective and you need to start early. And that's really, it's preventing the problem really um, before it becomes a Rather major. than having to eradicate exactly. it. Exactly. Right. Um, Bug Clear is made from rapeseed oil. So again, very safe on particularly vegetables, fruits, herbs, plants like that, that you may have some caterpillars, some aphids uh, and so on. That, that can be very effective. So there's a range of different treatments um, available. Grazers, of course, is often used for slugs and snails as well. So look in your local garden centre. They generally have the organic certification uh, mark, mark on them. Yeah. And um, there are lots of really good treatments. And of course, for weeds and and uh, general weed seedlings that you're seeing in the garden at the moment, get out the garden hoe or give a mulch to the bed, so mulch your bark or put down some of the material, again, uh, fabric material to, to prevent to the weeds. This, to yeah. suppress them down. Okay, great. There's a, a good lot of information there, so, uh, to start us off this morning. Uh, sure, maybe we'll, we'll start with that start tomato with plant. Tomato, yeah, yeah okay, not? grand. Uh, a bit spoiled for choice on some of these questions today. Lots of interesting ones in. So, first of all, tomato plant photograph in Porek. This is my tomato plant, says the texter. It has flowers, but some are just falling off. Will tomatoes grow on it? They will indeed, and we can see the picture of it here. It's doing really well. It's in a brown pot, and the pot is actually a perfect size for it. Um, It's in flower at the moment, which is good to see. Um, So really, it's just a matter of, I mean, the flowers generally on tomatoes last for a couple of days, and then they set fruit. It's no harm if if, um, if this is obviously indoor. It looks like it's in a kitchen. 
so you need to tap the stems occasionally or tap the plant so that the pollen moves from one flower to the other. Generally, tomatoes are insect pollinated. So Keeling's Farm, for example, in Dublin, mm-hmm. they'll bring in the bumblebees. They'll bring in a box of maybe 10,000 bumblebees and let them loose in the in the um, greenhouses and they'll move between each of the flowers oh. and, and collecting the pollen. And so that's normally the way they're pollinated. So generally, tomatoes are insect pollination, your greenhouse or tunnel. This one is obviously in a house, so you need to tap the plant every now and again just to make sure that the fruit's set. Um, again, water it about once a week and start to feed it once the fruits start to form. So once the first set of fruit uh, around the size of a small marble, that's the time. So in about a month's time, you'll start to liquid feed once a week and keep it in a bright location. But it's absolutely doing smashing. It looks like one of the dwarf varieties, either Red Profusion or Tumbler or one of those. So in other words, that one isn't going to grow super no, tall. No, it doesn't. Well, you know, yeah, yeah it, it looks it looks very compact. Okay. Let's put it that way. Great. Yeah, good. Um, it's very healthy, very healthy. Now, um, Monica is asking if adding a feed that includes traces of magnesium and iron is good for hedging, my soil is alkaline. Yes, alkaline will be kind of a high pH, you know, pH maybe of seven, so there'll be a lime content in it. Mag- magnesium and iron are micronutrients and they're generally found in most tree and shrub fertiliser. Magnesium will give the plant a lovely rich green colour, as will iron. Iron in the plants, like iron in the human body, it tends to build a bit of strength into to, into plants and gives them again a, a quite a rich green colour. So really, um, for monocase, the important thing is, is it's got NPK, the key elements, nitrogen, mm-hmm. phosphorus and potassium. So get yourself a good quality uh, tree and shrub fertiliser like the Osmo Pro 6 and it will have both the macro and micronutrients in it. Um, but magnesium and iron, yeah, absolutely good. Good, good for any plant. Now, there are a lot of leaves on my strawberry plants in the tunnel, says Mary. Some fruits are ready to eat. Oh, Should lovely. I remove some of the leaves to let the sun get to the fruit? What sun? <laughs> what sun? <laughs> the daylight, Mary, I think. Mary, absolutely. <laughs> I am jesting. Uh, first of all, it's great to see, I mean, uh, outdoor strawberries are just in flower at the moment and they're beginning to set fruit, but obviously Mary has them inside in a in the tunnel area. Um, so start to pick the fruit once it's ready. Uh, it's a good idea to remove some of the foliage because in a tunnel environment it's naturally the plant is growing probably twice as fast as it normally would it's putting on extra foliage and the cutting back some of the leaves uh, not only lets the light to the fruit but it actually puts the plant on a little bit of a diet and it tends to flower and fruit better so Mary is dead right remove some of the heavy foliage don't liquid feed too heavily as either once a month for strawberries uh, is enough because it tends to promote too much foliage at the expense of flower and fruit and always use a high potassium feed like a tomato feed or Blooming Magic uh, you saw high potassium feeds but yeah remove some of the foliage now keep an eye out for the slugs and snails and maybe put a bit of straw in under the strawberries as well just to keep them up off the wet soil so you know it stops the botrytis and rotting on the fruit Would your Nema slugs work well now in that kind of a situation? They would if slugs and snails were, were an issue definitely they would be very effective and very safe to use particularly where you're, you've, you've plants like a strawberry plant yeah, perfect. Okay. Absolutely perfect. Now, we have, uh, somebody has a bare root peony called a Sarah Bernhardt. Yeah, it's a lovely is variety. It, is it too late to put it in the ground or could I keep it for planting next spring? Well, they're they're coming into flower. May is the time for our lovely peony roses um, and look, you need to plant it straight away. I would be 
favouring potting it up, put it into a pot of multi-purpose compost just to get it to, to bud up. And if the root has been left dry, maybe soak it for a couple of hours first of all. So put it into some tepid water, let it soak up some moisture, then repot it into a pot maybe eight or nine inches in diameter um, in a good quality multi-purpose compost. And it should start to bud up within three to four weeks. Okay. But don't leave it. Don't If the root is left now, it'll just start to, to die away. So get it potted. It's not going to flower for a couple of years. Yeah, they take a while. Yeah, they do. To settle in, yeah. Now we've got a rhubarb plant and we've got a photograph of it. A thick flower stem has grown in each. How do I deal with it? Cut it back, the leaves, or is this normal? Um... So well, it's normal for rhubarb to flower like so, any plant. Yeah. Uh, they're they're tr- trying to reproduce, but you need to stop them from flowering because all the energy is going into the flower. And at this time of year, in May and early June, uh, rhubarb, particularly this this particular picture was probably taken um, a couple of days ago, but the soil is very dry around the plants. And when <clears throat> rhubarb comes under a little bit of pressure, particularly from moisture, lack of moisture, it, it triggers itself into flowering. A bit like when, you know, I often talk about geraniums in a small tight little pot that are kind of neglected mm-hmm. tend to flower really well. Same applies with rhubarb. If it comes under a kind of nutritional stress or water stress, it triggers itself to flowering. Now it tends to flower at this time of year anyway. So remove all the flower buds. But on the photograph there, they're roughly about 18 inches, maybe two feet high. Ideally, they should be pruned out as soon as you see them coming, be, being produced. So never let rhubarb flower, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. In, in okay. A, <laughs> in a roundabout way. So prune that out, give it a good feed and the rain now will actually um, benefit it as well and don't pick it for at least another two years. Okay, so it's just, again, it's a bit like the peony rose. It's a it's a long-term project. Yeah, well, you don't, yeah. You want to let it grow and build up and in the wintertime, get some organic matter, mushroom compost or farmer manure, put a good dollop of that on the top of the plants, let it rot in. So plenty of nutrition, don't let it dry out <clears throat> and always remove the flowering shoots on rhubarb. Apart from that, the plants are perfectly healthy. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with them otherwise. Okay, just that they've gone to flower. Um, Okay, moving on. I have a gift uh, four years ago, I received a gift four years ago in a three-inch pot of a red-veined sorrel. It's now popping up everywhere. (laughs) Garden, tunnel and paths. Okay. It's bitter to me to taste. How can I get rid of it? Forever. And red red vein sorrel does have a, a tangy flavour. It's, it's, it's kind of a citrus, lemony nearly flavour. So it's quite tangy to the taste. And it's lovely in salads. It's often used as a cut and come leaf for sal- salads. It, that's generally, you use it a bit like spinach. Unfortunately, the, the listener has allowed it to flower, set seed, and it's casting that seed okay, everywhere now. So it's escaped from its pot. It has. So it's one of these plants that if, if you allow it to flower, so hence, if you grow it as a cut and come plant, you're constantly cutting the leaves and it never gets a chance to flower and set seed. Um, so really my advice is to get rid of the seedlings, hold them out, just get rid of them. Um, don't allow the sorrel to flower. Keep cutting it every two to three weeks, even if you're not going to use the foliage. And the foliage does freeze very well, but if you're not going to use it, give it away to family and friends maybe, or put it on the compost heap. So don't let the sorrel produce flower seed, flowers. Just keep it trimmed and it's perfectly fine. But it has that citrusy, uh, lemony flavour. That's that's why it's grown. That's why it's grown. Okay. Lovely in salads. Lovely mixed with lettuce. It kind of gives it more of a punch to to to, to salads. Now I have a lovely Japanese maple shrub just planted three weeks. Leaves are all brown and dead looking. Will it come back? Uh, we have had that hard frost. Yeah, a- after the planting, they've got a lick of frost, yeah. and it's only a temporary setback. It will be perfectly fine. Just leave it alone. No need to feed it. Really, just let let nature take its course now. And as we get into milder temperatures and warmer weather, um, and even on the drive up this morning, I noticed beech hedges 
trees are all gone brown on the top. You know, there's a lot of damage on Japanese maples, forest flames, hydrangeas, uh, but they will grow out of it and come back again. Virginia creeper, we had that last week as well. They're all scorched as well. Okay. Um, somebody's wondering uh, if you have any sun gold tomato plants available. Yeah, they're, they're actually, um, I spotted those this morning. They're, 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 there's actually a great range of tomato varieties available. Sun, sun gold is that lovely yellow uh, fruiting. It's unusual. I was going to. I was going to have a guess and say, yeah, are yeah. they are they not red? No, no, no. The, the bright yellow, lovely for kids to grow and and um, lovely flavour as well, and an easy variety to grow. But all the tumblers and Alicante and money makers, they're all available. So keep them inside at the moment. So yeah. pot them up, grow them on the windowsill or the greenhouse um, for for at least another couple of weeks. Now. Uh, I've recently planted up a large perennial border. Brilliant. Could you recommend an evergreen ground cover plant that I could plant in between perennials to help suppress weeds until plants are established? I've already have an ajuga and persicaria. Persicaria, yeah. Yeah, Darjeeling red growing elsewhere, but I feel these would choke the perennials. I have heavy clay soil. Now, yep. Yep. T- tell us about what's there already, the ajuga and the persicaria Darjeeling. Okay, so, so first of all, the listeners planted up a perennial bed, which will be mainly cottage garden type plants I'm guessing things like lupins and delphiniums and foxes lots of the plants that we talked about last year and if planted if they're planted now they're going to come into fl- this year into flower this year and every year after that a good idea in the autumn is to plant some spring bulbs as well but in terms of ground covering plants the two plants they've mentioned a juga is um, comes in many different varieties but tends to spread a bit like a strawberry plant it runs across the ground and it's brilliant on slopes and banks and beds but in the wrong place it can take over Right. Now it does stay relatively low and the same applies to Persicaria. It's a lovely pink and red flowering plant um, and again it spreads, it literally just snakes across the ground and covers the, the, the ground really well. Um, now if you want something a little bit better behaved, yeah. um, there's a plant called Pachysandra. Pachysandra, which is an evergreen uh, shrub. It grows about uh, maybe three, four inches in height, six inches at most. Uh, Produces a lovely white flower and spreads slowly across the ground and is evergreen. It holds the leaf all year round, but just continues to spread and carpet the ground and gives very good, um, it's a very good weed suppressant. If you want something a little bit taller, mm-hmm. so there's a plant called Virginia, Virginia cordifolia, which has leaves like... Um, they're, they're kind of oval-shaped leaves. Um, again, it grows to about 12 inches in height, maybe two feet in diameter. Again, kind of carpets the ground. Flowers late spring, early summer. Um, they're still in flower at the moment and the, you get them in different varieties as well. Ground-covering geraniums. So there's some really nice um, ground-covering geraniums that are hardy out of doors and can be left 12 months of the year out of doors. So like, my advice is really pop into your local garden centre. There'll be lots of really good ground-covering perennials Iberus, for example, the candy tuft, that's in flower at the moment. It's a beautiful white flowering evergreen plant. Again, it only grows about six inches of height. It grows about a metre in diameter. It's a purcell white flower at the moment. So if you see a plant kind of trailing over rockeries or covering the ground with brilliant white flowers at the moment, that's a a lovely little plant called um, Iberus. Iberus, yeah, or candy tuft, perennial candy tuft. So... There's lots of really good choices um, and it's a brilliant idea to use ground covering plants to suppress the weeds.
great. Now, standard roses not doing so good, unfortunately. Fertilised, pruned and sprayed with All rose right. clear. <laughs> what else can I do? Not a thing. Just stand back and, and wait for nature to take its course. I mean, do do remember that it, it has been quite cold. Roses, particularly if they're open to the wind, like our, our friend the Japanese maple, um, are certainly scorched and they're a little bit damaged. But they have the great ability to grow out of that. And roses will flower nearly up to Christmas. So, you know, it's we've got a long season ahead of yes. us, yes. And even if we get a few pet days, a few really warm days, it does take 10 to 14 days to see significant growth on plants. But the listener's done the right thing. They've fed it, they've rose cleared it, they've done, they've pruned okay, it. So, so hopefully the rewards will be, be fine. will be coming. They'll be, be perfectly coming. fine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, my hedge is covered with black fly. Are they harming it and what can I do? No, the, what, the fly we're seeing at the moment is the bibio fly. So any of our fly um, fishermen will know the bibio. It's a, it's a, um, it's a really dark a black fly that you'll often see in lawns. You'll see it on trees and shrubs. They do absolutely no harm right. to the plants. They're just part of of uh, the nature, nature. cycle. So, um, unless the, the the pests that do damage are sap sucking, so aphids, caterpillars. Uh, aphids in particular, which will be on the young growth, the stems will be quite sticky. And um, for most hedges, they'll grow out of it. It's only a temporary setback. For tender plants, maybe like lupins, certainly it's no harm to put on uh, the natural or the bug clear as a control. But for most trees and shrubs, they're able to tolerate a little bit of pest damage. So I wouldn't be overly concerned unless a plant is absolutely covered in them and the plant is beginning to look a bit sickly. Okay, and <clears> I suppose in that, in that vein as well, somebody's wondering, uh, any way of keeping green fly and black spot off roses uh, without a chemical spray? Well, so you the could, garlic wonder, would that work out? The garlic wonder, you could, yeah, the, the garlic wonder builds both strength and, and energy in the plant and of course the pest is like it as well, so that would be good. Bacon soda is often used um, with uh, to control uh, particularly black spot and mildews as an organic treatment as well, so you could make a little bit of that up as well. But there are, there are actually some organic fungicides as well, um, fungus stop. I think, if memory serves me right, is one okay. um, from growing success, and that's totally organic. So again, pop into your local garden centre. They'll have uh, organic treatments for both fungicides and pesticides, and uh, most of them can be safely mixed together and applied onto roses. Okay, super <clears> duper. <throat> now, I'm thinking of putting down bark mulch in borders to help suppress weeds. Would I be better with a mini bark chip or a composted bark mulch? Well, it's a personal choice and I particularly like... Interesting the, question. Yeah, so so the mini bark is, is like a chip. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's large and it's weighty and, and it tends to, to, to sit there very well. The composted bark mulch is like compost. It's a little bit, uh, it's very, very fine, but still has a rough texture to it. And I particularly like that. It looks really well. It's like putting uh, moss peat down, but it's darker in colour and it lasts an awful lot longer. Um, so depends on the plants as well for kind of taller shrubs maybe the bigger bark mulch the mini bark chip would be better uh, for smaller plants like herbaceous border plants cottage garden plants alpines or whatever the the composted bark so it's a personal choice really but i particularly like the composted one it, it looks really well when it's down when it's done yeah okay and it's very effective now query for the garden joe what has gone wrong with my holly tree so we have a photograph in of yeah. a holly tree in a pot uh, when I bought it a few years ago, the leaves were prickly. Now they're smooth and some of it has yellowish ting to it. Recently, I gave it a seaweed feed. Why have the leaves gone smooth and does it need a different feed? Well, it, uh, first of all, it, it, it's, in a, it's in a relatively, um, I suppose, a small pot for the size of the plant. So the plant to me looks like it's about four, at least four feet high. Um, it is yellowing, which is a sign that the plant is hungry. And Holly's 
as the, the leaves mature, can go from a prickly leaf to a, a smooth leaf. So, so as the, it's as a the, natural process. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the plant is actually quite healthy, apart from the yellowing of the foliage, and that's a sign the plant is hungry. So the seed we'd plant would, or feed, would have some uh, level of... of um, nutrition in it, but you'd be better with a granulated feed, so really a tree and shrub fertiliser. I would put the the Osmo Pro 6 on this or the Vitex Q4 that we often use on, on vegetables. But also if it's in the pot for more than three to four years, I'd move it on into a larger pot. Right. Or indeed, what you could do this year is you take off five or six inches of the old compost and put in some fresh compost with a slow-release fertiliser or the Osmo Pro 6 feed. So it's just a feeding. The plant is actually quite healthy. Ideally, if you could, listener could plant it in the garden somewhere. It, that might, would be the, it might be do a little better. It would do a whole lot better. Okay. Yeah, because in the containers, with the best will in the world, they're going to dry out at some stage. They're, they're going to use up the compost very quickly. And, um, you know, they're better really in the garden soil. And hollies are so hardy and easy to grow. And you can trim them and shape them and all, and all that as well. Okay. So somebody has sent us in a selection of <coughs> photograph, a photograph of a selection of begonias. Begonias, yeah. Um, so I planted these begonia bulbs in the centre of the pot and they're all coming up on the side of the pot. Right. I've, n- I've nine <laughs> of these and they're all the same. I don't understand it. Please tell me, will they be okay, Porik asks Brida. Brida, they're absolutely perfect and they're doing really, really well. If anything, I would I would say the pots are maybe just a little bit big for the size of the, the plant and, and sometimes uh, in larger pots, the compost can stay wet for a longer period. But begonias produce their little bulbs on the sides of the... So when you buy the tuber, the tuber might be two inches in diameter and they tend to to, to sprout right at the edges. So that, that's perfectly fine. You'll actually get more sprouts. They're really only beginning to sprout. Um, you know, there's only about maybe an inch growth on, on that one in the middle. The other one is, is, is doing really well on the left-hand side. So more sprouts will appear uh, through the compost as we go through the season. Um, so really, Breed is doing everything right. The three of them are, are growing really well. Um, don't put them out of doors until at least the probably second week of June. So continue to grow them inside. And I'd let them dry out a little bit, Breeder. Just they're, they're a little bit too wet at the moment. So just hold back on the watering a slight slight tad and apart from that they'll be perfectly fine they'll be beautiful and non-stop begonias people will get them now are they the non- do we know are they, they the non-stop it, kind mm, it's hard to okay. know by the leaf there but but all the non-stop are available in garden centres at the moment now don't put them out into the garden soil and uh, the plants are about six inches at the moment start them up in pots and containers and then plant them out anytime from about the second week of June onwards but they'll flower through to November they're terrific and they'll grow in shade they'll grow in full sun they're brilliant in pots and containers on your patio or out in the garden soil they're terrific. Brilliant. Uh, let's talk about fertiliser for parsnips, if we may. Well, for general fertiliser uh, for vegetables and salads, use the Vitex Q4. It's a really good fertiliser. It's the one that we normally recommend for swades and turnips, but it'll do parsnips, carrots and and um, any vegetables. Simply rake it into the soil when you're sowing the seed, or if you have them the parsnips planted and they're, they've germinated, just put an, a light application over the surface. And again, this sort of weather is perfect at the moment for feeding uh, salads and vegetable plants in general. Brilliant. A uh, couple of questions in about pond plants and equipment. Um, yeah. If they're available at the moment, Fergal is in Barrel Mullet and I see somebody inquiring about water lilies as well. Uh, yeah, do you, are they in stock water lilies for ponds? Yeah, well, generally what we do with water plants is order them in to order so they can come in regularly on a, on a weekly basis. So if um, any of the listeners just ring the garden centre and they'll order the water lilies or water plants or oxygenators in for them. 
in terms of the equipment, things like pumps and, and the various treatments for ponds, they're available at the moment. That's great. Now, tomato plants over two feet, no sign of flowers at all. They Are they wild, asks Mary. They're still indoors in pots. Ah, no, 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 they'll be perfectly fine. I mean, two feet is is still relatively small. It depends what variety Mary got. If she bought in a local garden centre or sowed it from seed, it'll be one of the named varieties like Moneymaker or Alicante or whatever. So depending on what the variety is, look at at the moment, tomatoes need a bright, sunny windowsill, Mm -hmm. conservatory, um, patio area, somewhere bright. Don't keep them too wet that intends to to encourage too much leafy growth and um, they will come into flower. You know, there's loads of time yet for them to bloom. Fantastic. Now, a couple of potato questions. People are wondering, I said their stalks are starting to peep up, uh, Porik. So this person here has uh, potatoes growing in a pot. Two stalks are up and they're in a tunnel. When can I put them outside and is there a danger of blight? And somebody else has got a couple of stalks peeping up and wondering, should they feed them? Yeah, potatoes should be fed uh, from any time from now on. Um, ideally, you'd put some fertiliser in when you're planting them anyway, but certainly this would be a good time. If they're in pots and containers, use the liquid organic feed w- would be ideal. Like blight is going to be an issue any time from the middle of May right through until September, we can get blight. Generally speaking, it it, uh, it happens when we get calm, moist weather where you get, you know, persistent rain, misty, foggy Kind of like what we're having today. Soft day Soft in day, Irish terms. Ex- exactly. So I would keep them in the tunnel. And indeed, you can grow the potatoes, particularly in pots, in the tunnel. And you'd have them a month a month or six weeks earlier than you would have them outside. So if you have space in the tunnel, you can certainly leave them there. They'll be perfectly happy. Keep them well watered. Keep them well fed. The plastic uh, tunnel will help to keep prevent the blight getting on, on them anyway. Now, Tom in Castlebar has a question about grass in his lawn. Okay. So, what to do with patches of different grass in an otherwise perfect lawn? <laughs> I'm envious, Tom. Uh, I think he called it rogue grass yeah. once. There's seeds on top every time we mow, even though we use the bag to collect it. Round patches are getting bigger this year and more of them than last year. Last year was the first time and the lawn is 40 years there now. Wow. So, no other weeds besides. Oh my God, it sounds amazing. It must be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and look at the, the the trouble is when you buy even when you buy lawn seed, uh, generally it's it's like bu- buying tea. It's a mixture of different blends of, of grasses, and naturally enough, over time you get wild flower grass seed germinating or being blown into your lawn and germinating. So it's probably annual meadow grass uh, that 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 Tom has. It's it's perfectly natural, and it's it's difficult to eliminate it because it is a grass species at the end of the day, and uh, there's no treatment that you can actually apply to it that's not going to affect the rest of your lawn as well. So to be honest, it's particularly in rural Ireland, it's just something we have to live with. I have it in my own garden as well. Lots of different varieties of, of uh, grasses that have blown in and, and the odd weed, dare and I say, as well, which, are, which yeah. are good for the bees and all that. So um, look, I, I, there's no real... This, I mean, you'd, you'd have to individually treat the area uh, and, and kill off that annual meadow patch. grass within that patch. But that's not to say it's got not to come back in again. To be honest, if it was me, I and, and, I, and I do, I do, I leave it alone and just keep mowing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, would you be able to recommend a small tree to replace a weeping willow in a mature shrubbery? Oh, so well, if you if you want to keep onto the weeping um, habit, there's some lovely weeping trees. Um, now you might find them difficult to get at this time of year because trees have actually been in high demand this year, have and, they? and nurseries are, are a lot of them are sold out. But having said that, a lovely tree is is the weeping pear. 
Pyrus salicifolia. Salicifolia meaning salix is willow, so it means willow leaf. It's got beautiful silver leaves at the moment, white flowers, and the leaves are the shape of a willow. It has a beautiful uh, trailing or or weeping habit. It'll still grow 10 to 12 feet in height, and you've got the foliage colour from the silver leaves, but you've got the white flowers as well, uh, typical of a pear tree. That's quite a nice plant. Weeping cotoneaster is also really nice. Um, Again, you can get different varieties of weeping and cotoneaster and with that you've got summer evergreen and they'll have flowers and berries um, which would be really nice as well. I suppose, look, my advice is pop into your local gardens and there's some really beautiful trees. Amelanchier at the moment, the snowy mespolis which is beautiful and it's in flower. Um, so there's lots of Japanese maple maybe, uh, weeping cedar. So there's lots of really good trees and it's actually great planting weather if you can get your hands on a couple of trees. Remember, as we come into autumn anyway, there'll be lots of trees available again. Now, I put can I put cosmos and sunflowers into guard into the garden as I've hardened them off? Can I put cucumbers into a tunnel now as I have them in the house? Yeah, I'd, I'd move the, ton- the, the tunnel, I was going to say, I'd, I'd move the cucumbers, cucumbers into the tunnel um, because you can still protect them at night time. Uh, the, the, the trouble is we still can get a, a risk of frost during May. Um, so I wouldn't be putting the cosmos out yet or sunflowers, definitely I wouldn't put them out yet. I'd try and keep those indoors. With the cosmos, it tends to grow a little bit leggy and a good idea is to, if the seedlings are say six or eight inches high, is to pinch out the tops of them with a scissors or with your finger and thumb, just remove the central point. That'll encourage a bushier plant, it'll help to hold them back as well until we get into the first or second week of June to plant out. So I know it's tempting, but I would hold back for, certainly with the sunflowers and the cosmos for another two to three weeks. Uh, Cucumbers, I'd be perfectly comfortable putting those in. Do remember with cucumbers that they dislike um, wet compost around the base of the plant so when you're washing them either sink a pot a plastic pot at the base of the plant or always water away from the main stem of cucumbers because of a very um, green fleshy stem and if it gets too wet they keel over so actually wetness and dampness kills cucumbers more so than the cold Okay. Um, Somebody has a new crop of rhubarb. It's just two years in now, wondering, do I leave it for this year or can I use it? So tempting, isn't it? So what does Anne do? (laughs) Anne, if you can hold off for another year, please do. Uh, So look, keep it fed, keep it watered, uh, look after it, give it a good dollop of organic matter this this coming winter. If you can't get kind of local farmer manure, you get it, Bordnemona do a composted farmer manure that you can use as a mulch, uh, particularly in wintertime, and put a good thick layer of that and next spring you can you start can harvesting it. So normally three years is, is, is best to live okay. in Uber. I yeah. know, yeah. T- tempting when Any it Any flowers when it looks that good. you see coming on it, remove them as we said earlier and uh, just make sure it doesn't dry out during the summer. Now somebody's wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit about Lysanthus shrubs and the eucalyptus tree when to set and any tips on growing? Well remember that both are going to grow quite big so um, no, the, you can prune them back and keep them keep them trimmed back. I mean eucalyptus is probably one of the nicest of all trees I think which retains its lovely foliage. Comes from Australia and New Zealand um, and it's very tolerant of Irish conditions. It loves growing and many of the forest trees uh, plantations are planted with eucalyptus now so it's and, and a beautiful foliage plant it's it's a uh, desired by our florists uh, because it, you have foliage 12 months of the year and the more right. you trim it back the more it, it continues to grow so with both i'd plant them at this time of year if you can get plants um, and do remember depending on how you're going to trim them if you're going to keep them cut back on a regular basis that's fine but if you're going to let them grow as large trees then 
give them plenty of space. Okay. Why would none of my four hibiscus shrubs not have flowered? I have them around eight or ten years. They were in flower when I bought them, but they've never flowered since. Well, hibiscus are one of these plants that are kind of slightly Mediterranean. Right. On the borderline of, uh, you know, we really need a really good summer for hibiscus to to flower well in Ireland, or you need a south-facing sheltered kind of walled garden. If it's anyway exposed, if it's anyway shaded, um, or if we get a, a spring and certainly a summer like we're having at the moment, they won't come into flower. So they need a, a very dry, nearly Mediterranean type uh, climate to do well. Uh, so they're the type of plant that, you know, you they tend to skip a couple of years of flowering. Uh, so you might get one glorious year, <laughs> particularly when we get good weather right. and you mightn't see them in flower again. For, no, no show again for quite some time. No, no. But look, I, I'd still persist with them. They, they grow quite happily in Ireland. The flowering is the tricky part with hibiscus, hibiscus to get them back into flower again. So generally a south-facing, dryish soil. Again, like our friend the rhubarb that was in flower, if they're under a little bit of stress, particularly due to dryness or if the, the soil is slightly impoverished, they tend to flower quicker. Um, if they're in rich heavy soil or if you're feeding them a lot you tend to get lots of leafy growth at the expense of flower. Right. So they're just one of those plants that are just on that borderline you know a bit like um, Calistenum the bottle brush plant would be another Mediterranean plant that some years flowers really well and other years won't, won't, you won't know, perform at or all. Or if you see it half star somewhere it generally is flowering its head off you know and if it's in a really good soil it tends to be very leafy so okay. it's just you know, be, plants be... that are on that kind of you know they're just on that that borderline of of you cannot guarantee they're going to flower every year. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, <clears throat> now, do you stock strawberry trees in Castlebar? Our beauties, you need to, yeah, and they're not in at the moment, but we do stock them. Um, I would say autumn time is to get them, is to come looking for them. So that's a native Irish tree, our beauties, you need to. Um, it's one of my favourite trees. It's evergreen, beautiful bark. There's some brilliant examples of it in the Botanic Gardens in Dublin and they do they're, they're called the strawberry tree because they produce a red fruit in September October they actually flower and fruit at the same time and they fruit right through the winter period the fruit are edible but you wouldn't you wouldn't eat too many of them right um, so they're they're more decorative uh, so grow them for as their, they're not as sweet the way no, strawberry plants no, are no they're not no, yeah. no they're, but they're perfectly fine to eat but having said that, you're not going to sit down with ice cream and and oh, <laughs> and they. But they're a lovely tree, beautiful. Um, they're in the they're they're um, they're like a slightly acid soil, brilliant for bees. Um, and but a, a beautiful tree. The bark is absolutely fabulous on them. If you're in the botanic gardens anytime, go and search them out. They're worth the. Oh, are worth a look. Yeah. Um, so, a couple of questions in about the daffodils dying back, which are fairly well died back, ah, I think, are, yeah. at this point. Um, and I, <clears throat> I, I know tulips as well, people who have tulip bulbs and daffodil bulbs who've taken them up uh, rather than leaving them in the ground. And how do we store them or is that possible? You can store them. The key thing is to allow them to die back. It's, it's normally as a rule of thumb, six weeks to after flowering until they die back. Now, they're pretty much well died back at this stage so lifting them now you can store them in a cool kind of uh, maybe in some um, some slightly damp sand or but a cool kind of darkish area you're kind of mi mimicking the underground conditions that they're in anyway so you know a kind of a cellar a storage area but ideally in, in kind of dampish sand would be an ideal place to to store them for the, for the um until the autumn again mm -hmm. until you want to repot them again or you could move them into pots of soil if you want it or move them into an area in your garden so say you had a, a an area of the veg garden that you want to um just hold them just dig a trench 
literally lift them, don't cut off the foliage, just let just literally plunk them back into the soil again and you can relift them then in the autumn and plant them wherever you want them to bloom. Okay. That's what I would do with them rather than kind of storing them in an attic or in a shed sure. area because yeah. the chances are they're going to dry out. So ideally lift them, transplant them. And this time of year is a good time for moving bulbs. We, we often hear me talking about mm. moving bulbs in the green because uh, you can visibly see where they are. You can dig them up, you can split up the clumps and transplant them elsewhere and they'll flower then there next year. Okay, great. I'm just going to look at a, a laurel hedge here uh, on the yeah, photograph yeah. Por- that has been sent into us. Um, it's been planted two years. Okay. Uh, quite a nice row of hedging there. Yeah. Um, so they, it has brown spots and it's not doing so great. I've put 7716 on it. Oh, yeah. 7716, yeah. Good potato fertilizer. <laughs> right. yeah. There were there were cut down, but not dug out. What could we do now? So I suppose that maybe the Lalandiae root system still exists. Yeah, there. look, they're only two years in, and the plants are they look to me like they're about two feet high, which would be kind of natural. They're, they are a little bit yellow, and um, so the 7716 uh, would be fine as a granulated feed to put on them now. You could repeat that again in June. Uh, again, if we get a bit of damp weather in June and that'll just perk them up. And apart from that, they will grow. They'll be fine. Like, naturally enough, the Lilandia would have robbed a lot of the nutrition out of the soil. So it's only a matter of giving, keep feeding them and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be perfectly okay. The plants are he- he- healthy. There's an odd one that's a little bit smaller than the others, but they'll come on with, with a bit of coaxing and a bit of feeding. Okay, we've another selection of uh, young plants Basket in plants, pots yeah. that have Hang been brought on. Brilliant. So well here done. we have petunias. Yes. Now, they're a bit leggy, they uh, says Anne, I think it is, yes. Anne, um, and she's wondering, should she cut them back and when will she be able to put them out um, and what feed is the best for them? Okay, so first of all, Anne probably didn't tune into my... Uh, to my to, uh, to the Facebook Live, I actually did this a little piece on this oh, on Facebook. You can look Live. back at it though. You can actually, yeah, go back on the Facebook and um, Midwest Radio Facebook Live on the videos, um, and I showed people how to trim back their basket plants before putting them into their hanging baskets. Yeah. So, Anne, your plants are actually in great condition. So, well done. Some of them are in flower, but I would still get out the snips and trim them back. So, you're taking about an inch and a half, maybe two inches of all the stems, and before you put them into your hanging baskets, petunias will tolerate a little bit of frost. So I have petunias out at the moment and they're, they've been actually doing, they're out about a week now or 10 days and they're perfectly fine. Um, so they are a little bit more robust than some of the other bedding plants. Mm. So any time from now on, you could be planting up your hanging baskets, window box and containers with them. Keep them in a slightly sheltered spot. Feed them with a high potash feed like Blooming Magic and uh, they'll be absolutely fabulous. The trimming back basically doubles the amount of stems and doubles the amount of flowers you get from the plant. So you're ending up with a bushier, fuller, multi-stemmed plant that will still trail and flower its head off rather than being leggy and and, and a couple of flowers at the end. A bit mean looking. yeah, no, I wouldn't describe Anne's They're not mean, petunias. they're not mean, no, sorry. And if I had <laughs> those, I'd be, as pr- I'd be as proud as punch, believe they're me. They're absolutely fab, yeah. So I, mean, little, I mean in the round. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of trimming back. You can actually try the uh, the cut stems as cuttings. Yeah. So if you're, you know, if you're taking about an inch and out, they, they will they will root for you if you cover them with a bit of plastic. Uh, so give it a go. Okay, yeah, I, know, great. I know we could go on forever, but I'm afraid time is against us, so we have to leave it there. Oh, until next week. Until next week. Until yeah. next week. Thanks. And people can get more information anywhere on our website on orkins.ie. Absolutely. And you can also listen back to the programme, which will be podcast in the next 40 minutes or so, all going well. Uh, do stand by. Michael Neary is coming your way next here on Midwest Radio on the Saturday morning. The very best in country, right through until one o'clock at this afternoon. I'm good back next Saturday, all going well, just after seven. Thanks for your company over the past a couple of hours. Have yourselves a great weekend.